0: Good morning, good evening, welcome back. Or if you've just discovered us, well, thank you for plugging in or sharing us out loud wherever you are. I'm Matthew Grant, joint partner at Instec, but I'll be out of your way in a minute and handing over to my co-partner, Robin Mertens, this week talking to Isabel Sontenac from EY. You're going to hear what EY has discovered from talking to his clients and the buyers of insurance about topical issues such as climate and ESG, open insurance, embedded insurance, and our old friend, the legacy stack. Elsewhere this week, we're hearing that Lloyds is going to be withdrawing insurance from Russian ships transporting oil and after a chaotic week of air travel in the UK, no doubt many people will be discovering whether they had insurance for their flight cancellation or disruption. Both are a reminder of the critical role that insurance plays in our business and personal lives and now global politics too. We're exploring the world of the uninsured and uninsurable at Instec, maybe worth a future event or report. You've probably heard about the insurance protection gap. Figures vary, but approximately 80% of the world's assets that are not insured. Contact us now, myself by LinkedIn, or hello at instec.co if you have an uninsurable story, or better still, if you are building a solution to plug that insurance gap. We may be able to share your story. Talking of sharing stories, we're working with over 170 companies from insurers buying technology and analytics to those of you building and selling it. If you're not yet one of our corporate members and wondering what you're missing, then ask us how we can help you at hello at instec.co. Okay, that's enough for me. Here's Robin and Isabel. So I'm thrilled to have with me
1: today Isabel Sontenac. She's the Global Insurance Lead at Consultancy Y. Isabel, thank you very much for joining me. Have you managed to get to Paris after your globe-trotting life?
2: (laughs) Yes, I am in Paris today preparing for the weekend.
1: Yes, well, I hope that you you, you enjoy it because I know how busy you are and and I really do appreciate you setting aside an an hour to to chat with us. So look, I've got a question for you and it's the one I'm dying to ask because I'm I'm known for my candor. What is a a French woman doing running a global head of the insurance practice of a big consulting house, which has traditionally been a bit sort of UK, US focused how did you get there? How did you get this top job?
2: <laughs> well, first, it's, um, it's a fair question, Robin, because, uh, I, I think I'm the first woman leading this, uh, this sector for EY and clearly the predecessors were all from UK or US. So, uh, fair, fair question. Um, how did I get your job? I think it was, uh, a recognition of the success I had in the market and also the fact that uh, I'm, I'm known in the, in the firm to be a good leader. So which is uh, good. Um, and, and so I was very happy to, to be appointed. It's a good uh, way for me to really show that the insurance industry is a global industry and things are not only happening in US and UK, but all over the world. And we have now, you know, countries which were not that active on a global perspective uh, from an insurance industry like China, where you have um, players like Ping An, uh, Africa, we have also some interesting players, Canada, uh, etc. So I think uh, it's, it's a good way for EY to recognize the uh, diversity of the, the business and also to be inclusive, which is one of our goals. I know from personal experience
1: in, in the UK, we have this sort of tendency to think we're the center of the, of the universe. And I just okay. imagine um, you being French and you being a woman has just enabled uh, EY to both to, 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 to paint a broader canvas, you know, across the insurance industry. Is, is that fair? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, it's fair. I think uh, uh, not, uh, not specifically uh, the fact that I am French, but the fact that I am not an Anglo-Saxon uh gives more visibility to the other uh, countries where the insurance industry is big. And obviously, in France, we have uh, major insurance players. Um, but also the fact that I am a female, uh, I, I'm leading the, the, the business maybe in a different way. Um, I'm very focused on diversity and inclusiveness. And I'm very glad that we have now appointed um, a female as the as Asia-Pacific uh, leader for insurance. Uh, So I'm really trying to ensure everyone has a voice at the table and uh, that we share what we are doing in all the countries. And again, not only UK and US. And and that Mm. is clearly the objective I have followed since uh, three years. Uh,
1: Good. And I applaud both you and and EY for that. I mean, it's really nice to hear. So, So I first found your name and then ruthlessly tracked you down um after that because I read the EY 2022 Global Insurance Outlook report. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of things that you dealt with in there. You had a slightly related theme, which I'd like to talk to you about, which was it was about an observation to the effect that the in an age of automation and AI and more and more sort of computer dominated, technology dominated way of doing things, Human capital becomes a sort of differentiating source of value. Um, I mean, I, I assume that applies to insurance as much as anything else. What what sort of human capital do we need, and how do we go about getting it?
2: Well, obviously, uh, we need more people with technology, digital uh, background and experience, uh, because uh, like for almost all the other sectors, the insurance industry has still to transform significantly. Uh, for being more, much more digital. Um, and, and the difficulty is how do you attract those profiles because everyone is looking for the same profiles. And the insurance industry, let's be honest, is not the most attractive business for those types of profiles. So I, I think um, the industry should really communicate more on their transformation agenda because for those people, that means that they have a lot to do and to transform and to innovate uh, which is quite attractive, Um but also uh, the, the industry has to play more, I, I believe, on their purpose, you know, which is to uh, protect people, to build a better world, which is some- also something which can resonate very well with our youngest generations.
1: Do you think we're good at the insurance industry at attracting outside human <laughs> capital? Because I'm not sure we are. I mean, have you a view?
2: Well, I can tell you that I experienced that myself, so uh, I fully agree with with your statement because I I was, uh, I started my career more in the banking industry and when I was asked to um, lead one of our largest insurance accounts, there was a lot of skepticism around me to say, why her? And, uh, she doesn't understand anything to insurance. And, uh, I can say very proudly that, uh, the, uh, my success showed that, uh, it was a good uh, decision from the, the firm, uh, to appoint, um, me in this, ro- in, in those roles. But it, it's true that, uh, you know, the insurance industry is perceived m- mostly as, uh, you know, actuaries. And and Mm -hmm. that is something where if you are not an actuary, you say, well, there is no future for me in in the uh, insurance industry. Uh, And and that has to change. And again, I mentioned technology, technology. We see more and more, you know, profiles coming from outside the industry, joining some big uh, insurers, Uh, the consumer agenda. also the customer agenda, we need to recruit people more from uh, the consumer industry, consumer goods industry. Um and so that is changing, but it's sure that it's a little bit
1: slow. The other big theme um that you pulled out in the report was around um you know climate change, which you know obviously is a big issue for the industry and and you, but you made two points the first was that it was a huge risk for the industry and the impact from a risk perspective, but you also which i liked you highlighted it as an opportunity what's the, what's the insurance opportunity here do you think?
2: Well, for me, I would say that there are, um, opportunities first to invest in, uh, better resilient infrastructures. And you know, the insurance industry is a huge, um, in- investor, uh, and they can route more the investment towards those, uh, protecting infrastructures, um, which will, uh, which will have a very positive Impact on on the society. Um, the second element is, as an opportunity is that uh, EY did a survey, a consumer survey recently, uh, around the insurance industry and how people were buying insurance products. And 75% of the people say that they are uh, they want to change um, the the, uh, br- the insurance brand they are working with if they find a br- an insurance brand which is very committed towards the ESG agenda. So 75% is huge. So it's an opportunity to attract new clients if you are very focused on your uh, the ESG agenda. And the third element is innovation. The insurance industry can really build new products to encourage green behaviors. And we see some example of that already. I'd probably add one more, which,
1: which is to go back to the point you were making earlier. If outsiders really think we're committed to this, it's a really good way of attracting the young, yeah, you know, yeah. because, uh, we, we've had success of this. There's no shortage of really smart people who want to go to jobs w- which will make a positive impact and make the world a better place. And, and this is a really big area we can, we can push them towards where, where we have a, you know, a substantial role to play.
2: Yeah. And it's really, it's, it's a unique opportunity, I would say, for the industry to really leave their purpose. And you know, the, the, I think the, the youngest generation is very focused on what is the purpose of the company I'm working for. That's mm. why I think there is a real opportunity, uh, as you say, to attract uh, good talents.
1: And the third big theme, um, and, and this one I was, I'm going to sort of challenge you a bit more on was a whole round, um, ecosystems, open insurance as a sort of driving a profound business model shift, which we're starting to see. But but I'm going to break that down into two. We we did a survey this year. We asked everybody in our community what they wanted to talk about. And the insurance industry itself wanted to talk about open insurance, but it wasn't very high on the list. Whereas our advisory and professional services members did want to talk about open insurance. (laughs) Is it something that consultants want to talk about, or is it something that the industry wants to talk about?
2: (laughs) It's a fair question, Robin. Um, I think, you know, the, the insurance industry is very conscious that the customer's expectations are changing rapidly and that if they don't react, they will have quite some issues in the future to be, re- to stay relevant. Uh, so to address the new customer needs, also the new customer ways of buying products, they recognize that they need to partner more with, uh, you know, companies or players outside the industry. And so that's where we see, you know, the development of ecosystem. Uh, I think the big question is what ecosystem you should be part of or you should own, which will bring you the right value as, a, as an insurance company. But we see that more and more. And it's true that embedded insurance is growing very fast. And I think for me, I would say I have the impression that this is the most dangerous disruptor. Uh, potentially to the industry, you know, the the, the other players which add now insurance uh, products to their core products, and I would say the automotive industry is a good example of that. But we see more and more other players who really want to play an active role in the insurance industry. So I think the insurance industry is very conscious of that, and maybe has to accelerate a little bit more on this agenda.
1: Embedded insurance is the hottest topic in town right now, and and I don't mean what people like you and me are writing about, but you can see it in in, in the number of um, deals being announced and the amount of activity in the space. Mm. But I wonder whether is the industry getting left behind because its technology isn't good enough? I, I'm asking you that because, you know, the, the the people who get great valuations are those who've built technology specifically for this purpose and who are already digital. Are we in danger of getting left behind, do you think?
2: Well, definitely the, you know, the, the legacy systems don't help to be more digital, to build API, etc. So here as well, we see uh, a lot of projects uh, for for the industry to replace our legacy system, to add, uh, you know, platforms which enable to create APIs, etc. cetera. And, and by the way, at EY, we have uh, created a very interesting digital enabled platform uh, that we call Nexus for insurance and which helps the clients to um to do that so definitely uh, the the legacy systems are blockers for for uh, moving to the, to that direction but again we see a lot of uh, players uh, um changing that investing in technology i think it's just the pace of it which is uh, you know quite slow and we can understand why while other actors just build from scratch so they build you know the the right platform uh to to be more digital et cetera to be um more uh also adaptable and agile uh to be faster to the market um when when it uh, comes to innovation et cetera so uh there is a unfair competition we could say with those
0: new slayers. Hello, I'm Simon, the Digital Marketing Manager at Instec. If you want to know what new tools insurers and underwriters are really using, then register for the next Instec evening event in London on the 28th of June. Robin and Matthew will be discussing integrated and relevant analytical tools that are solving real business problems with speakers from Guidewire, Concirrus, Loadshore, Viper, Friss, Arbel and Greenlight Re. Full details, including how to register, are available at instec.co forward slash events.
1: Why don't more insurance companies start with a greenfield site and do what other people do, which is build a 100% digital business on the side and then gradually retire the legacy? Whereas the, the, the model of choice is to kind of constantly evolve and invest and try and get digital in stages.
2: What do people start again? Well, some some did that. Some uh, created uh, from scratch new brand uh, based on new platforms, etc. I think I, I'm not sure everyone has found the magic, uh, you know, source um, to do that well, um, you know, without competing amongst the, the two brands, etc., and also being able to scale. Uh, to scale significantly, what you start from scratch. Honestly, we had several projects for doing that, and um, which were quite successful, but still staying in—I would not say a pilot mode, but staying in a still a, a small business mode. Uh, to uh, You know, next to the big uh, big uh, cruise ship, which is your yeah. legacy business. It's really something where. No one has found the, the again the, the secret source, yes. but there are a lot of reflections, as you can imagine. Also, buying a new player and say, "Well, we will develop business yeah. from there," uh, it's also something we we see.
1: I think there'll be a lot more M and A activity in the coming yeah. year or two with with some of these successful insured tech companies. If the dream ticket, the perfect recipe to to use your source analogy is that kind of modern technology allied with Existing distribution channels with the, the in-house expertise that you have with your underwriters and actuaries and, you know, historical data that you can rely on. And you add that to, to what the insurtech and other communities are being able to develop by way of brand new technology. And that, that, that seems to me an interesting way to go. So, so look, I asked this question with some, um, trepidation because you're clearly unbelievably busy and traveling all over the world and have a huge workforce to lead. Do you have any family life after all
2: that? <laughs> Not enough, I would say, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I have three children, so, and, um, and a husband at home, so <laughs> I need to pay attention to all of them. Uh, but, well, I, I'm lucky to have had my children quite young, uh, so now they are, you know, they are from 30 to 22 years old, so, they live their life, but um, I, I'm connected to them. It, it, I, it's the thing I'm the most proud of. It's my family, to be honest, and so I'm always connected with them wherever I am. You know, texting or sending pictures, or you know, just asking questions on on the, what they are doing. And and when I'm back home, even though no one is living with us anymore. We take uh, any opportunity to do things together, so yesterday it was my birthday, and uh, we had a big dinner you know with um, with my children, with a boyfriend, girlfriend and uh, my closest friends um, and that, uh, it was such a great moment, to be honest, and it was two years that I couldn't do that because of uh, lockdown and then restaurants closed, et etc. so no I, i'm I'm spending quite a lot of time. the most time I can spend with my family I'm spending.
1: Happy returns for, for yesterday. And, and, then, and again, excuse the sort of um, cheek of this question, but do you end up being a bit like a consultant with your children? I mean, do you find yourself giving them lots of advice on what to do or, or are you
2: fun- fundamentally a different kind of mother? I'm refraining myself to be <laughs> too much a consultant. But but in the meantime, I'm quite proud that they are looking for advice uh, and they are asking my view on things uh, so I'm trying to find the right balance between, you know, uh, giving my, my advice from a professional perspective, but also, uh, you know, staying a mother who is really trying to, uh, in, in reality, trying to give them confidence in who they are and uh, what they want to do. But it's something that they really like me to do. And then once I have delivered my advice or review then they do what they want. I don't want to criticize what they are doing. They do what they want, but, but I just give my input.
1: That raises another point, which is I always remember that uh, observation made by Yuval Harari, who wrote that excellent book, the Sapiens, uh, about the sort of history of humankind. He, he said that this is the first generation since mankind began where the generation of our children have more to teach us than we have to teach them. So, so turning that question on its head... What, what do they teach you that you, that, you, you know, rather than you teach them?
2: They teach a lot and they teach me a lot. Uh, the first big topic where they are much more conscious of uh, the risk is really uh, sustainability. Uh, so it, I, I'm quite amazed by how conscious they are about, you know, the risk for the planet if we don't change our behaviors. And just an anecdote, it was uh, One month ago, we had a dinner with one of our son and his girlfriend, and we were talking about, uh, you know, sport because we are a big uh, sport family. And my husband um, uh, was talking about marathon and he's going to run the the New York marathon uh, in November. And my son said, but dad. Why do you go to New York to run a marathon? You can do the Berlin Marathon or the Paris Marathon. Mm. Why do you need to take a plane to go and run the New York Marathon? And to be honest, my husband was like, hmm, I didn't think this way. And he was quite challenged uh, personally. And the next day he said, well, why did he say that? But, but then, but he, yeah, he's right. So So, you know, the conscious about... What can you save for the planet in terms of uh, carbon emission is something, honestly, I don't know for you, but at least for me when I was young, I didn't think at all about that. Uh, and also, you know, buying plastic bottles, etc So they are very conscious of that. And honestly, we are learning a lot from, from them on that. The second element is, which I think also is different from uh, when I was uh, at their age, they want to work for something which makes them proud. You know, or, and for something which brings value to, to the society, etc. And this is something which I see much more for, for them than, again, for, for me when I was younger. And it's it's a good thing. You know, it's not just the money. It's really what can I, am uh, really I proud to work for this company?
1: Those things are so natural to them, it seems to me i am a you know child of the thatcherite era uh you know and 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 for us it was nothing but money. I mean we went after money and and we were sort of headness about it, and we spent a lot of money at the same time. I have to make a conscious effort to Align myself with these, uh, you know, issues and, 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 I'm getting better and better at it. But it seems to me that the next generation is just embedded to use that yeah, exactly. expression we've already used. You know, it's natural to them. And, exactly. and I, I, I know that. And, 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 there's a tendency, I think, in our, my generation to, to have a sort of sense that the world's in some relentless moral decline. And, um, but, but I, that the young are so much better at running these things than we were that you, you can't possibly take that line of inquiry
2: for very long. Yeah, I agree. And also something which they pay more attention, I think, than uh, our generation is uh, the work-life balance and pandemic exacerbate even more that, you know. So I see, uh, well, my, one of my son is going to move out of Paris uh, uh, in a few months. And um, it's a trend that we see with all this generation, you know, why, why to live in big cities? which are very expensive, where we can't do sports as we want, would like to, and just go in a nice place, uh, which is cheaper, and uh, we can work, uh, you know, uh, on a flexible way. So the work-life balance is also something which is very high on their priorities. Well, I hope all
1: the nice things we said about the young will we'll get many more listeners to the Intertech London podcast in the <laughs> next few of us. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could go on all the afternoon... Uh, talking to you but I know you've got a a busy job and you've also got a family to talk to so thank you so much for joining me thanks for making the time and we'll have you back again another day
2: thank you Robin thank you very much
0: that's almost it for this week we've got a lot going on at instec just now with the event on the 28th of june that simon mentioned hope to see you there if you're in the uk the release of our parametric report on the 14th of june and various dinners more reports and of course our weekly newsletters and insights all are on the website instec.co or sign up to our newsletter to be sure not to miss anything that's it we're done